right. How many beach people we got in the house? Anybody beach people? Okay. All right. All right. Who went to the beach this year on vacation? All right. Who went to the beach this year on vacation and you hated it? Okay. What, so what, what is it about the beach that you guys don't like? The sand. The, the sand. Okay. I mean, that was like, you, that was like at the same time. Did you guys plan that? Uh, the sands. You don't, you don't like the sands. Uh, you know, I personally think the beach is pretty fun. Uh, we went to the beach this year on vacation, uh, went to Hilton Head, had a really great time, built some sandcastles. Anybody like to build sandcastles? And uh, did some like wave hopping, wave jumping, some of that. That's some good stuff. Body surfing. Uh, we played title ball. Have you ever played title ball? Title ball is it's like you make a horseshoe shape in the sand and then you throw these little like bocce ball type things at it. It's kind of like cornhole. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so we played that. So spike ball. We did not play spike ball at the beach this year. Um, how dare you? Uh, so, you know, the beach is a lot of fun. But, you know, when you go to the beach, there's also a few things that you have to be aware of. Uh, and, and be concerned about or be cautious towards. So uh, kind of the big thing that everybody got, has to watch out for is sharks. sharks, right? Sharks, thank you. You gotta watch out for those guys. They might nibble on your toes. What is it? Jellyfish. Okay, so this year, you got stung twice. Man, okay, so this year, uh, where did you go? What beach? North Myrtle. Okay, so we were, I guess, a little bit further south of that in Hilton Head. So this year, uh, my daughter, Elena, uh, she's, uh, she's three. She got stung a few times. She got it, she got it really, really good. So uh, it was just one jellyfish, but it was like on both of her legs, both of her shins, all, pretty much all of her toes on the backs of her legs. She got it good. She was standing in like shin-deep water, uh, shin-deep for her, not for me, right? There's a difference. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, she starts screaming, ah! She's going nuts. And if you know Elena, um, she'll kill you, okay? And so she, uh, you know, she's tough. Uh, you know, there's one time uh, Aria had this, like, little roly-poly bug uh, she was playing with. She, like, named it Poly or something. And then Elena sees it. She gets a brick from somewhere and smashes the bug. And Aria's like, no! You know, um, and so, you know, Elena's tough. And so we knew something was wrong. We looked at her feet. Her legs, I'm like, oh crap, she got pounded by a jellyfish. You gotta watch out for those things. Uh, something else you have to watch out for is the current, right? The riptide, right? If you remember being a kid and your parents explaining this idea to you, right? It's like there's this thing that's invisible that's underwater, right? And as you're there playing, having fun, having a good time, if you're not careful, you can look up and be like, mommy, right? It's like you're gone, you're just gone, you're like down shore. Um, and so the, the currents, if you're not careful, can just pull you down shore where, you know, as far as Canada, some of you get that later, um, you know, as far as, you know, wherever it goes, uh, would just take you. If you're not careful, if you're not aware, it can push you, you know, in a lot of ways, culture is like a current. We're gonna spend some time, we're starting a new series that we're calling Not of This World. We're gonna look at this idea of culture and that it has an ability or a potential to move us. In a lot of ways, it's unseen, right? You can't see culture. It's not something you can grab a hold of and see like, hey, that's culture, right? You can't see it, but it, and it's very subtle, 
but it has an ability to affect you, has an ability to push you in a direction or pull you in a direction. It can affect how you think, how you believe. Uh, it, it can affect ultimately your eternal destination. And so current has an ability, or I'm sorry, culture has an ability to affect us. Now, before we go any further and spend some time breaking down this idea about how it affects us, let's just kind of get straight what culture is, right? What, what even really is culture? What do we mean by that when we say culture? So culture is, it's a lot of things. It's a really broad term. And so if we can nail some things down, it's, it's like a mainstream society point of view, mainstream society point of view. It's how people, it's how mainstream society thinks. It's how they, how they suggest you to what you, what you should believe. It's what they teach. It's, it's what mainstream society celebrates. It's, it's what society fantasizes, uh, you know, like, like the American dream sort of type things, right? Like, oh, you're, you make it like, like social media influencers, right? Just like fantasizing different things. It's, it's, it's at a national level, right? We, we see it at a national level, but a culture isn't just natural. It permeates down to like a local and individual level as well. So it, it works its way down through the news and into social media uh, and TikTok. You know, there's all sorts of like TikTok and reels that are, you know, that are about culture and how we think and believe and stuff. And then, uh, of course, it's, it's our very own neighborhoods, right? It's our schools. It's, it's the environment of a school. Uh, it is our friend groups. You know, culture, it permeates down completely to an individual level. And once again, this, this unseen kind of subtle force has an ability to affect how we stand in life, how we think in life, how we believe in life, and where we go in life. Now, in the Bible, there's a man by the name of Daniel who has three friends who end up getting called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they encounter firsthand this power or potential power that culture can play in our lives. So turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to read just a few verses. Daniel, chapter 1. says in the third in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand along with some of the articles of the temple of God there he carried off to the temple of his God uh, in Babylonia and put in uh, in the treasure house of God of his God then the king ordered Ashpenaz, man, these names suck, uh, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. 
Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. They made their names worse. Uh, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So, so let's kind of set the context here. So what's happening is Jerusalem gets attacked by the Babylonians. They get attacked and defeated. And they steal a bunch of the gold. It said the articles in the temple. That means all the gold in the temple. There was a bunch of gold. They steal all the gold. And then along with defeating the people, they say, hey, let's take some of the people back with us to Babylon. So they take their gold. They take a bunch of people. And they, they're now forced to go and live in Babylon. But this just wasn't some good idea that King Nebuchadnezzar had. It wasn't because he felt like the population of Babylon was getting a little low, so he wanted to like, you know, get some more people in the city. No, this was a military strategy. This was a strategy to, to keep the Israelites in, in, in his rule, under his subjection. And so uh, if, if he could make it seem like they were a part of their culture, then they wouldn't revolt. They would just stay. They and the people that are left in Babylon would just stay subject to his rule. So he was allowing them to intermarry. He, would, he was allowing them to have jobs. He was allowing them to participate in life so they wouldn't think anything of it and just, and just stay under his rule. And then to deepen this plot, to deepen this strategy, he ends up uh, picking key influencers, people that could speak for the entire nation and influence the entire nation at a deeper level. He picked these key influencers uh, to, to recondition, if you will, right? To give them a little bit of brainwashing, uh, so it says that they were to teach them the, the literature and the language of their culture. And then they, they said, hey, you know what? Why don't you just come and just eat our food? Well, here, here's, here's some steak. We got some really good steak here in Babylon. Uh, here's some nice chicken. It's called the Lord's chicken. You will really like this chicken. Um, uh, number one with a fry, right? And, um, <laughs> and then... And then they said, you know what, while we're at it, while we're at it, you know, you're, you're marrying our people and you're living with us now and you're eating our food and you're, um, you're, you're talking like us now. Here, let, let's just give you a new name. You know, if you're going to be us and if you're going to live like us, here's a new identity. Here's a new name. And all of this, right, all of this to, to make them stay under subjection, using culture as a means of influencing their behavior, how they live, how they think, and their physical destination. Now, Daniel, as we read, he ends up seeing through, apparently, this plot a little bit. So they've changed his name, they're kind of teaching him stuff, and then they start talking about food, and he's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I see what's happening here. I see what's happening here. 
He's not just going to just allow them to continue to push their culture on him. He says, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually, I don't want to eat the food that you're, you're trying to offer me. I don't, I don't want to get completely assimilated into your culture because I see that culture has an ability to affect me. Culture would have an ability to affect me, just like this current. It's like a current that has an ability to affect how we think, how we believe, who we are, how we identify, right, in our eternal destination. So he puts the brakes on. He says, oh, hold up a second. Culture, he sees that culture has an ability to affect him, so he puts the brakes on. Now, it would have been very easy for him to just say, hey, you know what? It's just a little bit of food, right? It would have been very easy for him to say, I've already got a new name. I'm already learning this stuff. Why don't I just go ahead and just eat the food? It would have been very easy for him just to continue dismissing the aspects of the culture that he was being forced to embrace. It would have been very easy for him to dismiss it away as, well, you know, they're just being nice. They just want me just to have some of the Lord's chicken. I mean, it's Chick-fil-A, people. We got to eat it, right? Um, it would have been very easy for him to dismiss it. And it's, that's a, a mistake and a danger to dismiss the idea, which is why Daniel didn't do it, that culture can affect you, much like it's dangerous to dismiss the idea that a current can affect you, right? It's like if you go into the ocean not being aware of a current, which is why our parents tell us about it, or especially not being aware of how powerful a current is, right? They put out those announcements, right? Like the riptide is extra strong today, stay out of the water, right? When you're not aware of its ability, that's one thing. But then if you're dismissive, ah, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. You're screwed, right? You're, you are going to go where that wants you to go, where that current wants to take you. And it's the same with culture. People have a tendency to dismiss culture's influence in their lives, and they have a tendency to think that they think the way they think because they chose to think that way. They believe the way they think because they chose to believe that way, and they dismiss the reality that the culture around them might have very well influenced who they are, how they think, what they believe, and how they're living in life. A really funny and interesting example of this is uh, in the 1952, there was a guy by the name of something that I can't remember, so I'm going to have to go look at his name. Um, uh, he was, his name is Hawkins Stern. He was an economist in, in 1952, and he came up with this uh, economic theory uh, called the suggest, called suggestion impulse buying, suggestion impulse buying, and basically what this theory was was uh, saying was that people will buy things because they want to, but then uh, people will also buy things if they're suggested for them to buy them. And so you can look, it's an entire theory that grocery stores employ uh, different food chains like McDonald's and Starbucks employ in that if they can suggest something and, and create a particular environment or culture, then it has the ability to affect what you buy. So for example, one of the things that this theory talks about is how the key items, the most expensive items, the brand name items, excuse me, are at eye level on the shelf. Now, my eye level is not obviously your eye level, right? So there's a little bit of variance here, right? But, but those eye level items 
are more often purchased than the non-I-level items. Another really interesting one is that on end caps, on the end cap aisles, not in the aisle, but on the end caps, those products are purchased at a huge percentage. So Coke, they, they looked at Coke and that Coke products, 42% of the time, almost 50%, 42% of the time were purchased, were picked up from the end cap aisles. That's a big percentage, right? It's not 70%, I get that, but it's 42%. Almost half of the time that people were buying Coke was from their strategy, from their idea, right? So it's this idea that you think you want to buy the Coke. You think you wanted it, but really that idea was planted in your brain just a little bit by little bit through advertisements and store layout. And, and then you were suggested to buy it, you thought you wanted it, but really it was put in your head and so then you did anyways. Right, So it's the same thing. That's kind of like a microcosm of culture as a whole in that, like Daniel, it has an ability to affect us. And so we have to put the brakes on it and take a step back and say, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I'm not just going to participate in all this culture stuff. I'm going to take a look at things and analyze things and pay attention to what I'm doing. Now, if you're unfamiliar with with uh, Bible interpretation and uh, you know how how things mean in the Bible, then uh, let, let me tell you a few things about Daniel's story in particular. So one, Babylon, which is the kingdom that's being discussed here, is oftentimes a metaphor and a representation of the world. It's a representation of present world, of present culture. And then Nebuchadnezzar, there are similarities and parallelisms between Nebuchadnezzar and Satan. And so while the events here in Daniel aren't just stories and allegories and things that we can draw meaning from, they're actual events, they're things that actually happened. While they're things that actually actually happened, they're also a representation of how Satan uses culture to affect people today. So look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Actually, I've got it on my phone. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So it says that Satan, he's the God of this world. Another meaning of God is ruler, right? He's the ruler of this world. Like Nebuchadnezzar, he's the one pulling the strings behind culture to affect what people think, to affect how people feel, to affect what people believe, to affect how people live and where ultimately their eternal destination is, right? Satan has an agenda to get people to hell, right? The Bible says that hell was prepared for Satan. Satan, not for people, but yet because Satan's a, a word, um, he pulls, he wants people to go there with them, right? And so Satan's pulling the strings and like Nebuchadnezzar, right? One of the, one of the first things Satan comes after is identity, 
Right? He says, hey, you, you know what? Let, let me just give you a new identity, a new name. Think about this. How relevant is identity to culture now? How, how, that's like everything. How you identify is everything. It can swing both ways. You can, you know, whether right or wrong, it's the, the point is that identity, Satan uses it to affect us and how we, how we live and think. So we, we can talk about things from, you know, I'm, I'm the athletic guy. I'm the, I'm the cute girl, right? And find your identity in that or find your identity in some very political things, right? Like I'm pro-Trump or I'm pro-Biden or oftentimes identity now is associated with right, our sexual identity, identity and our gender our gender orientation, right? Because if you can find identity, get this, if you can find identity in the things of the world and identity in the culture, then you'll never find your identity and accept the identity that Christ has for you, right? Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. He doesn't want you to see what Christ has for you. He wants you to accept this identity. Republican, Democrats, gay, straight, Right, accept the identity of the world so that you never step into your identity in Christ. Then he, then he, Nebuchadnezzar, another thing that Nebuchadnezzar did that Satan parallels with is that he changes, he tried to change what people, what people ate, tried to give them a new diet. Now, Satan doesn't really work like that, at least I hope not. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't, I'm just kidding. Um, but he does change what we consume, he tries to affect what we consume. You know, it's a really interesting fact is that there are over 100 news organizations in the United States, but seven of them are controlled by the same company. But all, all of them are controlled. Sorry, I said that backwards. All of them are controlled by the same seven companies. So th that's not a coincidence. You're being fed what they want you to think. Right? They're being fed what they want you to think. It's, it's why TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat, why their algorithms are set up to make you addicted, right? to feed you a, an idea set, an ideology, to feed you information that they want you to hear. It's why on Snapchat, why it's not just a, a conversation panel with your friends, but why there's articles from Teen Vogue and all sorts of stuff on there. It's, it's about transmission of information. It's about reconditioning your brains, brainwashing you to think how culture wants you to think. Satan pulling the strings to make you think a certain way, believe a certain way, act a certain way, and end up in hell where you were never meant to be. And it's for this reason that most people who are gonna end up in hell most people who end up in hell won't be in hell because they swam toward it, but because they drifted that way. They lived unaware, dismissive of this idea that culture is really influencing them. Culture is really influencing them. But let me tell you this tonight. You don't have to be influenced by culture. You don't have to flow with the direction in way of the world. You're not meant to flow in the direction of the world. The Bible tells us that even though we're in the world, even though we're in the culture, we're not of the culture. Look with me at John chapter 17. John 
John chapter 17, we'll read verses 13 through 16. This is Jesus talking, and he's actually praying, praying to God about us. John chapter 17, starting in verse 13, it says, I'm coming to you now, Jesus, he's talking to God. You know, I'm getting ready to come to you, God. He's in heaven right now as we speak. And I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they, that's us, may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Jesus says, listen, you might be in the world, but you're not of the world. That, that word of means belong. He's talking specifically about Believers, those who've accepted him. And he, he says, you don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the world. Really, you could zoom out and include this in all people, for all people, because the Bible says that every single one of us was bought with a price. It says that we were bought with the price of the blood of Jesus, that Jesus allowed himself to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be in heaven with God. We don't belong to the world any more than Jesus belongs to the world. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. We have ID cards that say heaven on them. The Bible says that we're just foreigners. We don't belong here on earth. We're just passing through. Our life is 80, 90, 100 years short because life goes by fast. But our destination is not here. Our destination is heaven. The Bible says we have a heavenward call of Christ Jesus on our lives. So we're not of this world and we're not meant to be of this world. We don't have to live like this world lives. Think like this world thinks. We can rise above it, analyze the culture, see and pay attention to the decisions that we're making and we can live differently. We can, we can be unaffected and unswayed by culture. So how, how do we do that? How do we live unswayed? Jesus tells us in the next verse. He says, he says, they are not of the world even, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, they are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So, Back at the beach, when, when you're out in the water and you're playing and having fun, in order to not get swept down shore and to prevent that from happening, you need a fixed point, a fixed reference point that you can look back to and pay attention to and keep your focus on so that you stay where you're supposed to be. You have that fixed point. Now, on the beach, this is an umbrella or your family or your, you know, your stuff. But in culture, right, we need a fixed point that is truth. We need a fixed point that's true because culture will say this is true. It'll say think this way. It'll say believe this way, act this way. And it has all this information and ideas and ideologies and lifestyles. And it's like, what? How, 
you get lost in it if you don't have a fixed point that you can keep your eyes on and keep your focus on. You need something that's true, and that's the Word of God. God's Word is true. The Bible says in in the book of Psalm, chapter 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed. It's, it's unmovable. It's invaluable. It doesn't change. It's all, it always stays the same. It's fixed. It's, it's, not gonna, it's, it's, not, it's not like an opinion. It's fact, right? It's solid. It's firm. Firmly settled. It's that beach umbrella that's firmly planted in the sand. It's that lifeguard chair. It's that tree that you keep your eyes on. It doesn't change. God's word is firmly fixed. It is true. Another verse, it says in Luke chapter 1, 37, it says, for the word of God will never fail. The word of God will never fail. It'll never let you down. People will let you down. This world will let you down. God will never let you down. God's word is our fixed point of truth. This is why we say, this is why we have a Bible reading plan and why we say you've got to get on this reading plan. If you go to our Instagram bio, you can click the link and read along with us every day because it, this, is our, this is our point. This is our point of reference. This is how we have to live by, how we have to live through, what we have to keep our focus on because if not, we're gonna be moved. We're gonna be affected and you can think all day long that you think how you think and you believe how you think because you chose it. No, a culture has influence. Unless you have something that'll stay put and not move on you, you'll always, you'll always be moved. You'll always be moved. We have to stay fixed and live our lives on the Word of God.